0: Welcome to today's episode of Comeback Chronicles. I'm Sam Fisher, executive coach for Startup Founders. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Kutzer. Jordan is co-founder and CEO at Throwback Studios, which has recently released its first game, Derby, Baseball VR on Oculus Quest. Jordan grew up in South Pasadena, California, and was recruited to Stanford to play baseball. I met Jordan when he was a freshman on the baseball team, and we hit it off right away. Jordan didn't have the smoothest career, dealing with injuries for much of his time on the farm, but didn't let that stop him from making the most out of his Stanford experience. I'm really excited to have Jordan on to talk about how his experiences playing baseball, especially all the setbacks, prepared him for life as a startup founder. And it's always great to talk to him, as he's just a fantastic person who's doing very cool things with his company. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Sam, I'm so psyched to be on. Uh, I always loved your work at Stanford Baseball and with the athletic department, so I'm excited to be here uh, supporting the podcast and being being a part of it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, why don't we start there? So Jordan and I met when I was a broadcaster, and he was a, a very tall pitcher on the Stanford baseball team. Um, I'd love to hear more about your experience, how you got to Stanford th- through baseball, and um, some of your early early baseball memories
1: yeah um i really just became crazy about baseball really young like two years old my next-door neighbor took me to a dodgers game and i was just completely floored by it became totally enamored with it would pull my parents outside to to like hit baseballs throw baseballs at that age like completely incapable of doing anything really but was just obsessed with the game from a really early age um and just played it throughout uh throughout my life and ended up Being pretty good in high school, I started to throw pretty hard around my sophomore year. um, I played at at Pasadena Poly um, and ended up getting recruited to to Stanford. Um, I definitely was, I I would say like looking back, like I, I remember at the time just, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world. You're like, I'm getting recruited, all this great stuff is happening, but then you're really entering a different world of athletics. Where you're really, you know, competing against some of the top baseball players and athletes in the world, um, and I remember just looking at, at the time, feeling like I, I I got this, and then looking back on it, I'm like, oh my god, I was basically 14 years old as a freshman. I was so young, still still growing, um, and you know, eventually I I was able to fill out and and become a, a good competitor on the team. Um, but it was, it was also tough, you know, finding, finding your, your spot in a team where you aren't, you know, um, you know, at the top of the food chain coming in, figuring it out. Um, I had a very tough road, um, you know, getting onto the mound. Uh, but I had great supporters and great friends, uh, and teammates who wanted to see me out there and want to see me succeed. And so I do remember those first couple of times getting out there on the mound and, uh, I remember you and, and, you know, a bunch of the teammates that we had just like being really psyched because we had just worked. I mean, I remember, I, I remember we're just working so hard to try to get out onto the mound. And when it finally happened, it was just like so incredible. So uh, that's kind of my, my shortened uh, experience of grew up playing it, just got crazy about it, definitely struggled at school. I'm, I'm jumping over a lot of the struggle. It took like almost two years to finally pitch in a game. Um but it it was so worth it and so much fun.
0: That that's awesome. Yeah, I I'd love to hear more as, as as one of the the main themes I'm exploring right now in this this podcast series, talking to different former and current athletes and, and co professional sports coaches uh on the the challenges of uh, I think one as a coach maybe leading during difficult times. And I think mm-hmm. as an athlete, like uh I think baseball is probably the, the most interesting sport here is like how do you tune out all that's going on around you, the ups and downs, the personal ups and downs, and just just keep pushing forward and trying to continue to perform. So maybe I'd turn that back to you. Or is like, what's it like <laughs> when when you're you you say you're trying to see action? The team's going on around you. I mean, your freshman year, there were some unbelievable you know players in that team. Like the focus is on trying to you know win win the college world series, get drafted first overall, and and you can kind of get lost. Like, how do you keep doing your work and keep pushing forward while all that's happening around you?
1: I think the first thing is that if you're if you're able to get to the college level that you really haven't experienced that much failure um in your athletic career to that point maybe you've had some tough tough streaks or something like that but if you are able to compete at that level um you're really dealing with a tremendous amount of talent and so college i would say is really the first time where a lot of athletes uh fail and to actually fail <laughs> for the first time, and so I think it's kind of a big reframing in sports uh, where you kind of and, and kind of the beauty of baseball is that failure is kind of the default and is expected and is and is accepted as well, um, and so understanding that failure is is kind of the default in in that sport, and then. Being able to set out a plan and say, "Well, when are the times that things go well for me, and how can I not necessarily work harder, but work smarter towards uh, those those outcomes?" Um, and I think that was really the big thing for me. Was you know I struggled for two years where I, I realized that I just didn't have the stuff. I did I didn't throw hard enough. I didn't have the pitches that I needed to really Force my way onto the field, which was really the position I was put in was you are not going to be on this field unless it's so blatantly obvious that I kind of have to. Um, And I really struggled with that. And it's tough because baseball is also a bit subjective. Um, And I think that that it became extra difficult where there was a period where I realized I had overcome a lot of the failure. I had gotten past, you know, the 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 threshold where I knew I could compete against the guys uh, at the lo- at our level, and there would be teammates that would come up to me and they would say, "When are you gonna pitch? Like you're like, you got to get out there at some point. Like what is it gonna take?" And I remember that kind of being like that to me was more rewarding than actually like going onto the mound, like realizing like they had seen the effort, they had seen the whole process and they had accepted me as like we it would be beneficial to the team if you got onto the mound and i think that was like the 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 big moment to, where i realized like all the work had paid off but yeah i think failure is the default and then figuring out a process within within that system um and like god so much of my time was spent like working hard um and like you can, and especially in baseball, there's a like grind aspect to it. Like people are like, Oh yeah, it should be hard. It should be difficult and learning that like, like actually it, it ended up being easier. I, I took it a little easier on myself later on. Um, and I ended up doing better. That was another like really frustrating part of of the job. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my experience with
0: it. So much there to unpack. I think you, you you've given me a, a bunch of points to like latch on to and maybe transition this into now your role as co-founder and CEO to startups. So I think a couple themes there. One, how the default is failure, and how do you how do you create an environment for yourself to to have as as good a chance of success as possible in an environment where the default is failure. And then kind of this theme of forcing yourself onto the field. I think in a crowded market and uh, like, how do you force yourself to get in front of people? How do you force yourself to get downloaded by, by users? How do you force yourself to get invested in, you know, by VCs? I find that really fascinating. I think a, a common thread. Uh, so I'd love to hear, you know, how those lessons apply and, and how you use that stuff day to day in your current role.
1: I would say that I've really been on this journey where after, after Stanford, I, um, I was, the first employee of the company called Striver Labs, we were doing virtual reality uh, training for football teams. It was so much fun. We had like a blast. Uh, I lived at the office for a couple of months, met my best friend, Cody, who's now my co-founder. And um, it was just my first time getting out into the working world, and I learned a lot. But what I didn't quite understand at the time was all the stuff that had gone into developing the product even before I showed up. Um, and by that time, we kind of had product market fit. And so it just kind of seemed like, oh, you just go out and you start a company and it goes well and everything's, you know, you're off to the races. Um, and so two years ago, um, Cody, who was the CTO at Striver, he and I decided to start our own company. At the time, the company was called Receipts Inc. Um, like, you know, screenshots of your, like, like receipts, like uh, the screenshots of uh, text messages. And it was a live streaming app for for messaging. Um, at the time, like, Consumer Social was really hot. Um, Clubhouse and, like, all these other consumer apps were, were getting huge, huge funding. And so we were like, oh, my God, we're going to do this thing, too. This is so much fun. It's going to be great. We got some celebrities to try it out, you know, Ashton Kutcher and, and people like that. Like, it was it it felt like, you know, we we got this thing. It's, it's going. Um, and it just it just wasn't. <laughs> and it took about honestly like two years of trying a bunch of different products where we were realizing, you know what? Failure is the default. Actually, like you're not going to find something that's going to work right off the bat. It's very, very rare to do that. And so, um, you know, it took us, I think like our third or fourth product was, we kind of went to the, we went, we went and talked about the things that we felt were missing and the things that we had done in the past that had worked really well. And, um, kind of knew already that it was a success, quote unquote. And one thing was we had built a home run derby game in virtual reality. And um, we had done this at Stryver and people at the office would still play it even after we had like, you know, we were on to different things but they would still do their stand ups. They would just, they would bring people on dates to the office and we were like, remember that game? Like, and that still doesn't really exist in VR. So this was in July of last year uh and we basically just said let's try to rebuild it and try to rebuild it as quickly as we can but let's instead of just copying what we had done in the past let's do a few different things let's like, make it available for quest 2. let's make it social so you can hit home runs uh with your your buddies and talk with them and three instead of a big scary and intimidating stadium with fans let's just put you in a nice neighborhood park we did those three things we got the first demo of it done in on August twenty fifth, and then uh, we gave it to like ten people to try out. They all they all gave us pretty harsh feedback. It basically stunk, but it did the things that we wanted to do, and um and so we got just really uncomfortable with how fast we got it out there. And like you tried it at that at this point, we launched it on SideQuest. It was so hard to download, but um, but it still worked. And I think that it was the first time that we realized, like, you know, we're putting out something quickly, people are seeing it change, and they're enticed by the rapid pace of change and the fun of, of this, this, uh, this experience. And, that was really when we re- when we recognized like oh this maybe isn't a success but this is very a far feeling from the default failure that we'd felt with basically every other product we had tried um so th- so i think that it it really took us i mean honestly it was like a year and a half but it felt like two years where it was just so so difficult to find that initial idea or to find that idea that would carry you from, you know, good idea with a bad product to enough promise that you'd end up with something great. And so um, it was a long process. And without, honestly, without sports, I mean, literally we make a sports experience, so, but without sports and kind of being taught to persevere and to feel that failure and say, you know what, the failure's fine. I might be pissed off about it, but it is fine. Um, I don't think we would have continued on. Like there were so many signs and people who told us to stop and we did not. And I know that it's because of, you know, my experience with sports.
0: I, I love that story so much. I think there's so much I really love about that. I think maybe the thing I love the most is is you really capturing what it means to, to go early to market, to act now, iterate, to actually get like, a, a true minimum viable product. I think, I forget who exactly told me this, but it was like if if you're not significantly embarrassed um, yeah. by your first product, you waited way too late to get it in front of people, and that was a huge failure of mine when I had my startup. I had my startup, you know, building uh, software tools for sports teams, and I took way too long to get it in front of these teams because I wanted it to be. Good, And I wanted all these features to be working. By the time I got in front of them, you know, I I'd wasted so much time and, and so much opportunity to get the good feedback. And then what you said there, which I think is super undervalued, is that people get excited about being a part of that growing process. They get excited about yeah. trying a version of your game and then picking it up later and seeing the improvements. And they'll tell you ideas of what you need to do better. And even if you have already had those ideas in your head them saying it makes them feel like they were a part of it. You can really get these partners. So I I loved, I loved you saying that.
1: Well, I I appreciate it. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I've realized over the last, uh, seven months really of, of, building, uh, well, we, we renamed the company, so we're, we're now throwback studios, um, and we make, uh, we're a VR studio that creates nostalgic games. And our, our first game is Derby Baseball VR. And with Derby, what we realized very quickly is that the, the mechanism for our company is to listen and, iter- and, and execute as quickly as possible. Because with, with what we make, so much of what we are doing is showing our players the people who actually go into the game and try it out, that we are there. We're in the game and we can change the game based off of what they say. So almost all of what we do is just listen. And if you are doing this in a room by yourself, not listening to your customers, not getting out there and getting that feedback, then you're just kind of doing an exercise. You're not actually... Uh, you know, you're not executing. And what we've learned is if you can change, because we build a virtual world, we build a virtual experience, what is so powerful is that, especially for younger players, they have spent so much of their day not being listened to. They have spent the day at school being talked to, being parented, being coached, and this is the one space where they can show up, they can scream at me about what something that they want. They know I'm listening, and then they can show up the next week and their thing might be in our game. And that is how you get someone who feels like they have ownership of over this game, over this world, and what they say really matters. And I think that that's universal across all products. I think it's pretty visceral in ours, but even if you're making a B2B product or, a sports software product. If people say I asked for this thing and Sam went out and built it for me and that is, and and it's exactly what I wanted, or even if it's close, that is so incredibly powerful. And that is what activates someone to go and say, Hey, this Sam guy, he's got something great here going. You should try this thing out.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that story. I think that's an amazing story. I'd love you to go. uh, I think I, I can picture this a little bit better because you and I had one of these experiences when I, I hopped in the game with you and we had a conversation. I think it's really fascinating, one, the what the medium of VR does to allow you to have a conversation like this, but then you taking advantage of it to really kind of hang out in the game, have a conversation, kind of show some things that you could do, listen, uh, just just hang out there with users. users. That has to be one of the best examples of being able to get user feedback at a startup. I mean, I, I imagine there are founders out there Who are just salivating at the idea of getting that rich of an experience and seeing their users all around the world interact with their product like how how where did that idea come from and and how quickly did you know you had struck gold with that idea of just kind of hanging out and being there with your early users
1: um it took we had an idea about what are the use cases where vr could be really powerful um And there are a lot of obvious ones, like training is a big one. And I'd worked in training, but what really interested me and my co-founder Cody was that this is a really powerful content creation tool where you can create a world, bring people into it live, you can set up a scene, you can record, broadcast, stream, you can do all of these things all within this headset. And if you do it the right way and you can show people you're having fun, it could create a really powerful loop. Like when you watch a video on YouTube, that person went out, they they did the thing, they recorded it and they edited it and they put it on YouTube. And then as a viewer, you just watch it. But for VR, I can create the world, I can go into that world, meet you in it, record the video of us doing that thing, put it on TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, put it everywhere across the internet, show people we're having fun show them that it's a video or an activity that'll go viral and then those people who are watching it can actually go back into the world and do the same thing they can live within that video and so it's this really visceral content creation loop um and we didn't we we had the idea but we really didn't strike on to it until i would say like late january early february we had gotten some tiktok traction some youtube traction But then once we were able to open up this environment to multiple people, to dozens of people in the same virtual world, and you could go in as the owner of that game and say, hi, I'm Jordan. Love that you're playing Derby today. What do you want in the game? What, what's going good for you? What's going bad for you? You know, getting feedback like that and recording it. And so each time that I'm in there and I'm recording, and then someone sees a video of me they're saying holy crap this isn't just you know a promotional video from fortnite this isn't you know the halo halo preview this is the owner of this game they're going in they play their own game which apparently is very rare and they listen they're getting feedback from the players this is so cool i want to try this out and so it's just this signal to the world of we are here we're doing this fun thing and we're listening. You can affect change on this thing. Um, and it really, like, once we figured that hook out, then things exploded. Like, now, you know, we have over 18 million views on TikTok. We have over 150,000 followers there. And um, we're just exploding month over month really, really quickly.
0: That's so cool. That's really cool. Tell us a little about your co-founder. I know you said you worked together at Striver. Does he also have a sports background? And and how quickly did you guys hit it off and know that you'd want to do something like this uh, or, or start a company together?
1: Yeah, Cody is Cody's my best friend. Um, we have been led that way basically since we met. Uh we lived together at Striver in this house, this townhome in Menlo Park. Um Cody, in my opinion, is a genius. He built the VR lab at Stanford with with Jeremy Bailenson. Uh, it's called the Virtual Human Interaction Lab. Um, he did all these really powerful experiments. Um, he's had films uh, that he's shown at Tribeca. He's done, he did this amazing thing. It's called the Crystal Reef. You can look it up. It's on uh, Time Magazine's uh, YouTube channel. It's called, it's called the Crystal Reef, where he shows, it's this virtual reality experience showing um, the, the island of Ischia, and then um cody worked at striver helping to build that early software uh, vr training software um, and just taught me so much about the medium i had made like one vr video game before but this was like a whole other level of vr development Um, and cody's just so thoughtful he has such insight into um into how virtual worlds can be used for good and for bad, he has um, a very strong opinion on on what is good and and uh, you know what you can I don't know he has he has this really powerful just like compass of exactly what he believes VR should be and what it can be and if someone disagrees with him he's very passionate about it um, and he played volleyball. Um, he is super athletic and uh, is just a great, great guy. Um, he's also, um, you know, we have a very strong, like, teaching, coaching, and, like, almost camp counselor vibe is kind of required because of the varying ages that we deal with. Uh, it is something that we've kind of realized lately is a really strong superpower for us, is that we, we're pretty solid with younger, talking with younger uh, players of our game as well um yeah cody's cody's just the the best and he's stuck he's stuck through uh some very tough times um as we figured out our way to to you know pivot to throwback studios and start building derby um and i'm you know he, he's the best
0: all right so you say he played volleyball uh are you guys the tallest founding team in silicon valley What's, we-
1: he's he's six four i'm six seven so we might be i mean i think um the who are other tall guys isn't I think that um the founder of Salesforce is really tall and um I think he's like six six or maybe six eight um and then who else is really tall? I know Kevin Systrom from Instagram and now artifact I think he's like six six as well, but I don't know who else is who else is tall
0: Interesting you say that. So Benioff, I'm looking, it says on Google that he's he's six foot two. So maybe he just looks really tall because the, the most tech people are, are uh, a little bit more vertically challenged than your guys' team. So he's always standing next to people who are a little bit uh, less big. I'm going to, I'm going to crown you guys. I'm going to say tallest, tallest founding team around. Um so, all right, just for for this is fo- critical. yeah, yeah. I I, I don't want to critical go. to success. <laughs> uh, I I want to know. Let, I'd say let's start with baseball. Go back a little bit. Do you remember a low point? Like, I, and I I don't bring this mean. You know, to say this to, to bring you down. But I think right now, a lot of people are struggling, struggling at different points in their career. And uh, last years have been tough, mm. but especially in the business world, the last few few months have been really tough. And um, I'd love to hear you know baseball, you know, and or but. Um, your experience with throwback, like some of those like low days where you weren't sure, you know what the path forward was. You're going to make it out, and, and just help us yeah. see where you were able to get to from there.
1: Yeah, for baseball, I remember this kind of low point and stretch of um, my junior year. I had I had really developed. I'd I'd started throwing much faster. Things were going much better for me, and then I got injured, and it took a really long time to like, just admit that I was injured. And I remember going to the doctor, uh, in LA and he gave me this, he, he we did like all these scans, like all day. Cause it was kind of like, we want to, it was also like, we want to give, have these for like, you know, future proteins or something like that. So we were like, let's just get it all done. Let's do all these scans. And, um, I, Had this, I had this lesion in my shoulder. It's called a Bennett's lesion, um, where basically they were like, it's it's, uh, inoperable. We can't take it out of your shoulder. It's just the way it is. And so you are now injured and permanently. And there's not really much you can do. And they gave it to, and like he said it to me, and like they put up the scan, and there's like this just big dot in the middle of my shoulder where I was like, oh, that's obviously it. But I remember he gave me the piece of paper. And I just so distinctly remember. Is like crying so hard that like I'd worked for so many years and I'd put so much effort into this thing and like you imagine you kind of imagine and you dream of this like how, how your career will end in fanfare and people being so psyched for you or whatever but really like this guy just handing me the paper thing these are all the reasons why you will not be able to play this game anymore. You won't be able to do this thing that you have always done anymore. And that actually wasn't even the, the low, like I, that was hard to, to get that and realize that. But the harder part was, I still wanted to go out and try. I still wanted to like put put in the effort. And so I went out and I tried to do the rehab and do all those things. And I just remember going out And pitching and pitching horribly i couldn't throw fast i I couldn't throw nearly as fast anymore i was throwing very slow um and like really was not performing at all and um i just remember i just remember like coming back from from an outing where i just remember thinking like god when i was when i was at my peak like it honestly felt like baseball was easy like i'd figured it out I'd overcome all this struggle my my freshman and sophomore year and now I've done it. And then to to just be like I'm so far from that feeling and I'll never feel it again. That was so difficult to feel like it's like it's not even an op- it's not even an option anymore. You have to leave that feeling in the past and you have to go and find a new thing to try to to get to that peak of. And that was such a low moment for me of just re- realizing like oh it's not even like you can try to get back there and get close it's that it's just unachievable like you cannot get back which is of course a really great message to be hearing here in a podcast but it was i think it's a really po- it was, i think it's a really positive point. message i think it <laughs> but it was a big moment to say you have to leave that you have to leave it behind yeah and um and so i remember that low moment and then I remember, um, I remember in business. I remember in business we did all of these pitches for other products. Like we, so like the the first app failed, and then we were like, oh, let's do this 3D tool. Let's do this uh, NFT thing. Let's do like we pitched like three different things, and we were just scrambling and. And also, to a point, we were also nervous like, we're going to start burning bridges with investors who, like, are we're coming back to every couple, you know, months. And it's a different idea, it's a different thing. And so, I remember getting like, I remember getting teed up on like, just like, the, it was the easiest investor intro ever. Like, this, like, I got intro, like, by like a great friend of this person. They'd inv- invested in this other founder. They were like, this person they were like, Jordan knows what he's doing. Like it was as warm as it could be. I gave a great pitch, all of this stuff. And they said and they said no. And i I don't know how many times I don't I'm not one of those founders that keeps track of how many no's. Like a lot of people are like, I got a hundred no's or whatever. I don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember getting the email and just being like, I just remember just being crushed. I just remember being like, what would it take? Because I have a pretty good background. I have a pretty, you know, I went to Stanford, I've worked at these startups, I've done all these things. um, And what is it gonna take? And I think at that moment, it really worked. I, I think going back to that idea of like, well, I'm still in this default of failure. Like I'm still, I'm still, I'm still there. And so even if I'm in this storm of failure where I'm just always here, what would I at least enjoy working on every day? What would I at least be like, you know what? This is a fun problem to try to go and execute on. Um, Because there were just so many things that we were trying to fit our, uh, interests and abilities too, versus saying, what is something we could be really great at? And I know that for a lot of people, they hear like, follow your passion and all that BS. And it's not really true. Like, I would say our passions are just, just happen to fit into technology in a very specific way where we're able to create on a platform of, of virtual reality that is growing and is considered to be one of the next computing platform opportunities and sports, which is really one of the only things that people pay money for in terms of content. And so it's not that we've necessarily followed our passions but we understood the business opportunity within what we we, we are very great at. And I think that those those two things were the big thing that we saw change as we got those as we hit those really low low points (laughs) was we were like oh man like these things like even if we got the funding like even if people had said yes the odds of us making something great are very low because like we're just not the greatest at those things um and I think that the the those those were the those moments those those were the learnings that we had in those low moments.
0: No, some really good lessons there. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and, and open about that, especially the the baseball story. I think when I heard that baseball yeah. story, it reminded me a lot of the challenge when you are a founder of how mm-hmm. much do you stick with something when it's when it's failing, right? When it's not yeah. working versus when you you need to pivot and it's just such a tough balance cuz if you pivot too early, you know, I think you can miss some of those key learnings, you're going to miss some opportunities cuz it's always hard. It's always freaking hard out there and um, yeah. but if you if you stick at it for too long, then you miss those other opportunities. So I think it seems to me in this situation um, just continuing to try a little bit more with baseball after the injury allowed you to close that that book without wondering could I still do it? Um and I think that uh, you probably had some similar stuff happen on the business side. So that was a that was a pretty powerful story.
1: I'm glad. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I mean, the beautiful part about sports, and really like, like, the, the powerful part of of these these organizations, whether it's a sports organization or fitting into an ecosystem of startups, is that one of the really important jobs of a, of a organization in sports is to tell you when you are done to mm. fire you. Yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, the same thing happens in business, but I think it's an underspoken part of sports is that it is ruthless and it, and part of the, one of the best things that an org- organization can do is tell you when you are done and to not prolong that. And, um, because if you leave an athlete to their own devices, they will never quit. It is, or they will almost never quit. They need so much, uh, there needs to be so many signals and so many signs that, uh, that you need to stop and they'll, they'll continue to keep going. And that is what makes a great story and what, and the stories that we remember and think about, but. You also need someone there to finally you know throw the brakes on um and if i but if we'd had that with our company, I mean we did have people throwing the brakes on for us for sure um but if we'd if we'd listened, we definitely would not be in the position we're in today
0: yeah maybe maybe what they were throwing the brakes on were um those other ideas and those other paths. yeah the other ideas <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yes, uh, exactly.
0: Uh, and uh, that's that's really great. So I, I'm I'm super excited about where where you guys are going with this. I mean, it sounds like you're thinking about doing a lot of different games, both expanding in the the types of games you offer, as well as enriching the social experience, the con the content creation side of it that you you were describing, where you're you're really creating like immersive worlds to to bring people into mm-hmm. and to share out. So um, I, I don't spend a ton of time in VR, but I I, I was and I'm i being completely honest when I say this, I was really impressed just on the conversational side, what it was like to actually hang out with you in VR while we were just swinging a baseball bat. And I know that was an early version of the game where there weren't even that yeah. many features, but just the, the richest in that conversation. So I'm, I'm excited uh, about, about where you guys go from here.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think that, um, we, we really try to approach, uh, game creation and and VR creation more like YouTubers or like TikTokers where we really are trying to execute so quickly where ultimately the idea is is more about how do we add something that would go viral elsewhere (laughs) because we understand that for someone like you, you're not going to use the headset that that often, but if you're going to tune into one of our channels wherever you consume our videos or someone else's videos from our game, you're like, oh my God, look, look what's going on in this thing. This is great to watch. And ultimately we think that, you know, when I speak a lot about content creation, ultimately, most of VR will be consumed through 2D video, uh, not people going into the headset and doing it. And so everything that we do is through that lens is how, how do we make a fun environment to create a fun video in? And that's really our, our target that we shoot for for every day.
0: Awesome. And then for our listeners, you can be a little bit more specific. Where, where would they go to check out the content you're creating or, or to check out the actual uh, run Derby experience itself?
1: Yeah. So our company is called Throwback Studios. You can go to our website, throwback.studio. And if you are looking for us on social media, we are everywhere. Um, our best channel is definitely TikTok. Go check out Throwback VR. Uh, on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, wherever you, you are consuming your, your short-form videos. And um, and if you want to play Derby, it is free to play. Anyone can join, and you can uh, join in uh, with the thousands and thousands and thousands of players all across the world who play Derby every day.
0: Yeah, and maybe you'll meet Jordan, and he'll ask you what he can do differently and how he can make it better. I think that that's some secret sauce there. That is... Uh that's gonna take you guys really really far place so so Jordan, thanks so much for coming on. It's always good catching up with you and uh we we avoided going too deep in in base- Stanford baseball stories that nobody wants to hear so I think I'm proud of us for for how we handled that
1: <laughs> well i'm I'm proud of it too you know i I think that there there's baseball like all sports is very political, and so I'm glad that we we focus on the stories and not on the drama.
0: There we go. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jordan, and we'll we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks so much, Sam.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Comeback Chronicles. I'm Sam Fisher, an executive coach for startup founders and other tech leaders. If you or anyone you care about could use extra support in their career right now, I'd love to help. Whether you need help with your current job or are looking for coaching to land a new role, you can sign up for a free 30-minute discovery call through my website, and we can get started right away. My website is cardcoachsam.com, or you can reach out to me at cardcoachsam at gmail.com. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Comeback Chronicles coming your way soon. If you know someone whose story would be a good fit for the podcast, leave a comment or send me an email. I'm always looking for more stories to tell.